Today on episode 83, I have a special treat for you guys. I'm chatting with Liam Elysiums and Scott Harding from PRAC-E, an initiative to support beginning teachers through best-in-class digital media and in-person symposium events in Brisbane, Australia. We have a packed episode where Scott and Liam answer questions about how teachers should decide which schools to apply to, how to handle being a long-term substitute or starting in the middle of the year, how to deal with negative colleagues, and when it's time to switch schools. You're probably going to want to listen to this episode twice because they bring so much value and answers to your urgent questions. Welcome to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, where we help new and beginning teachers navigate through those crazy first years of teaching so you can maintain your sanity and personal life. Here's your host, Kim LaPree. Welcome to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kim LaPree, and this is the podcast for new and beginning teachers who don't want to just survive those first few years, but actually thrive. I am so excited for you to hang out with me today. Thank you so much for being a listener, whether this is your first time or you're here every week. I have a fun and informative interview with Liam Elysiums and Scott Harding, the co-founders of Pracky. I was originally in contact with Liam through our mutual respect for each other's work since we both have a mission of helping new teachers. I was particularly impressed with their symposiums for new teachers that Scott and Liam will talk more about, as well as all of the tips and hacks they provide through different types of media. I really enjoy the videos they put out on Instagram and YouTube, so you guys should definitely check those out too. I'm Teresa Steger from the Principal PLN Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Now, a little bit about them. Scott is a veteran teacher of more than 22 years, and he's taught in every type of school out there, both in his native England as well as Australia, where he's lived for quite some time. He's passionate about mentoring beginning teachers and gives us a lot of practical advice on this episode that I know you're going to find valuable. And Liam, who used to be one of Scott's students, is an education entrepreneur academic researcher, registered teacher, and a post-grad master's student. His teaching experience ranges from being a residential tutor in a private school to volunteering to support some of Australia's lowest socioeconomic students, and you'll hear him go into that when we have our conversation. As the three of us get into the thick of it, you'll notice that there are a surprisingly large number of parallels between the problems we face here in the U.S. with Australia the same teacher shortages, the same frustrations with pre-service programs, the same concerns about the work environment and classroom management are there in two completely different continents across the ocean. Now, I won't make you wait any longer for this, so here's my interview with Liam and Scott. 
Thank you, Scott and Liam, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time all the way from Australia. Thank you very much. We're very happy to be here. It's amazing. When we started off this idea a few years ago, the last thing we could ever have imagined that we would have enough sway to (laughs) talk to someone in America live about our idea. (laughs) So it's amazing. So thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, now, since you brought it up, how did you guys get started with Pracky? Like the idea, the name, everything. Um, well, I, I actually taught Liam, of all things. Oh, all nice. things. He's, he's, he survived, <laughs> which is nice. But um, I taught him, and then he came on prac at my school. So basically, he started uh, you know, as a substitute teacher at ours. And um, we were chatting one day and said, look, there isn't a formal process for, for mentoring people. We sort of we made it up on the fly almost. There was no specific guiding process from me as an experienced teacher to him. So we worked very closely together, and we worked at a good working relationship, but there was nothing, there's no manual. There was nothing to follow. And I said, how many people in the first sort of two, three, four years of their, their career get no guidance? It must right. be huge. Mm-hmm. And you look at the dropout rates, well, it's global, you know, not mm-hmm. just America, I'm sure, but here in Australia, certainly back home for me in England, I'm English by the way, sorry. For any listeners. <laughs> well, I just my accent in advance. And, um, you know, the, the dropout rates approaching 50, it's nudging higher, um, 50%. And you look at it and go, a lot of that is to do with the fact that people aren't, aren't feeling supported or there's a gap between what they're told in university or what they're told in lectures and the reality of teaching. And it's, it's alarming. If you're an experienced teacher and you're expecting people to come in behind you as a generation, where's that going to come from if people are dropping out all the time? It's, mm-hmm. not, going to, it's not going to be you know, something that's supportive you know, for any kind, of, any kind of factor of education, really, whether it's private or public. You know, I was able to see it firsthand as well through my university. Every time we went, we came back from our practical experience out on school, my cohort had literally halved. We had, we basically had a lecture theater where we sat 400, 500 students. And then we came to the first lecture post prac and um, it was compulsory to rock up. And only eight students were there, including myself. It was the Hunger Games. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. And from what I've heard, there was a massive discrepancy between what we were being told we were in store for and then the reality of the situation once we went out onto prac. And I had people, peers of mine, out on prac. They had a nightmare lesson, as any of us do, but they didn't have that support network or the context to put in why that nightmare lesson particularly happened. So they blamed it all on themselves. And then you ask where John went because it's period one and he's not here. And then his mentor teacher goes, oh, he dropped out last night. And you go, it's – so there was only so much of that that I could take before <laughs> we had to step in and come up with some sort of model to actually meet these needs. And I think that's where Pracky originated from. Yeah, and you know, I, from my perspective, certainly, I've been teaching for 22 years now. Um, I must feel so old. And, um, you know, I can't in good conscience sit there and watch that. Do you know what I mean? I, I really can't. I'm looking at that and going, there are so many good minds and so many great potential career teachers going to waste because they're not feeling supported or, or mentored or counseled properly. And we all have bad lessons. It happens. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's whether you have bad days and then bad weeks and then bad months. That's a different thing completely. But you can see where people would catastrophize and go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly I'm not cut out for this. If they have two or three bad lessons with a class, it's resistant to them. You know, and then they just catastrophize and go, well, I, I just shouldn't be a teacher and mm. just stop. 
must happen to a lot of people. In Australia, so Scott mentioned it just before, we have this thing called the teacher drought, where basically the teachers within the first five years of their careers, especially, are dropping out at an astounding rate. Along with actual drought, of course. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's it's debated whether how high these stats go. Some statisticians say that upwards of 52 to 60% of teachers drop out of the profession. We also have the same themes here with the university because a lot of people are saying, you know, what I'm learning in the university, it's a lot of theory. It's not anything that's practical. And then so then when I go to my student teaching or practicum experience, I feel like I'm completely unprepared and I'm eaten alive. I don't know. Why, why do you guys think that this is so common, though? You think that they would have higher standards for preparing teachers. I, we aren't running universities, Dan, because I'm sure they do a fine job by and large, certainly in terms of the academic theory, et cetera. It's the practical knowledge that people want. It's people want to know what happens if a kid throws a chair at me? What happens right. if, you know, what happens if, you know, my technology fails on me, which is, you know, technology-driven classrooms are such a thing there, but what happens if the internet goes down? What do I do then? How do I cope? How do I mm-hmm. feel that silence? And it's that, it's that idea of the terrifying silence when you first get up and people looking at you. And when we first started Pracky, we were – discussing about how the model should actually look and obviously if you get a whole bunch of teachers in a room usually the discussion goes to debates around big picture kind of stuff oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> whereas usually with beginning teachers and university and college students in particular sometimes we're wondering just the tiniest things that maybe an experienced teacher may take for granted for example I have a million resources, yet my lessons keep going short by 15 minutes, you know, and then I've got this dead air, like, why is this happening? And there's so many little tiny questions that beginning teachers have that don't get covered in a unit or don't get covered in a lecture. So Pracky really wanted to be practical. So we wanted to just hit those tiny little questions that probably cause the most anxiety before you go out on your placement and basically just come up and get experienced teachers and change yeah. change the context and go, well, what are those tiny little things? Let's nail them all within an hour and a half, two hours. And then from there, you'll have a bit more experience. So when it happens, it's not happening for the first time. Those yeah. questions will keep you awake at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, those, right. Those ones. So yeah. then what do you guys actually <laughs> do with Pracky? Like I know that you had some symposiums and mm-hmm. like how do you get people to go to that? Who are you targeting? How does that – what is your model? So – Pracky's split into two halves. Our first half are Pracky symposiums where a panel, a varied panel of experienced teachers aimed to demystify the teaching profession for pre-service teachers and early career teachers in a Q&A format. Every single perspective that you could possibly imagine. And we basically sit them down in a panel and Pracky actually doesn't present any content ourselves. It okay. all comes from the audience. Yes. So we have a live link as the audience can come through, which links to an online forum and then links to me, the host. So they can literally ask any anonymous question to this panel for two hours. The other half of Pracky is our digital media. So we basically produce the exact same um, approach to the symposiums, but for ongoing written or written word, audio and video. So we do a series like Ask Pracky Anything where mm-hmm. the prac teachers can send in real niche yeah. context questions That's and we good. answer them in real time. And hopefully it's something that applies across international context anyway because there's, there's just universality to, to a lot of the issues that people face irrespective of you know, testing regimes and, and freedom that you're given or not given 
rather from the government. Right. You know, so yeah. you know, hopefully there's some kind of universal application for everyone who listens. You know. What factors do you think a new teacher should consider when deciding whether or not they want to even apply for a school? I mean, do you recommend that a new teacher just take whatever job they can get? We get this question a lot we during Pracky um, because obviously the, our target market are going out into the profession and they don't know. I mean, I've worked in some horrible places in when I was a barista at working in cafes. So I know the variance a workplace can have on everything, your mindset, your well-being. So it's a big issue for beginning teachers. They obviously want to find a school that they can succeed at. But the problem is, is that, like you said, how do you know what that is until you've landed the job? Well, you have to go in and you have to do due diligence, first of all, for where you're going into. You know, that's that's the first thing. You've got to know and do your research. So if you do get a position and you accept one, you have to have researched it well beforehand. You know what I mean? So if you know you're going to be um, going into an area where there are challenges, you're at least ready for those challenges. And then your criteria may well be a little bit different as a result of that. Do you right. know what I mean? So, for instance, within a low socioeconomic area, it might be attendance in your class. You know, you're going, if 80, 90% of them are consistently coming to your class and, you know, other statistics in the school are 50, 60%, you're doing well, you know? And yes, it might be physically taxing on you. You might only last two, three years within that system before you feel you need to change. But what a way to start your career. You know, you set yourself up so that anything that comes after that is a challenge. It's easy, right? It's easier. It's relatively, from a relative point of view, it's easier. And that's how to get through your first five years is to, is to have those success criteria in your own mind as to what you wish to achieve. So do you think you just know? go for it then? Just apply think, for school think, and see how the chips fall? I think so. I, don't, I mean, at the end of the day, we all start somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We all start somewhere. And it might be something that you didn't expect to happen happens. Do you know what I mean? It might be you look at the school when you first come in and go, I'm not sure about this. Um, and then six weeks later, you fall in love with it. And as a beginning teacher, there are a lot of things that you can do to flesh a school out and see what they're like. Yes. And also beginning that journey to deciding your own pedagogical views as well. I mean, when I started my degree, I had just come out of kind of the more private independent sector. And that's personally where I thought that I was going to go. Yet through experience in those sectors, and I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe I need to go do this. Maybe I need to go do that. So I think keep your options open and really ask yourself what you believe in with pedagogy. That may be done through further research or practical experience. There's a lot of things that you can do, such as, you know, get your foot in the door volunteering at a school, tutor at a school, yeah. um, coach a sporting team, something along those lines. And then you can actually – because if you base – all of your opinions about a school or a sector based on an advertising pamphlet. Yeah, that's exactly what right. it is. It's a promotional pamphlet, and that may not be the reality of the situation. Everyone's got their makeup on. Oh, yeah, for sure. So get your foot in the door and actually have tangible solutions. And also that goes a long way to landing a job as well. Rather than cold calling a school, if you can show that you've had, you volunteered your time um, yes. working with that school and you like it, then that can go a long way towards getting a positive relationship with that school going forward, I think. You know, something that's really common for new teachers is they are just kind of desperate for something in terms of a job. And so they'll take a position like a long-term substitute position. Do you guys have yes. that? So maybe someone will go on maternity leave or take sabbatical, um, or maybe I'm taking over someone that actually left at the first semester and now the class is mine. 
So this is this is actually really common here. So what advice do you give to those new teachers who are just kind of like thrown in? And what are the most important things that they should plan for and do like right off the bat? It's a great question, really, because yes, beginning to that's a big issue here in Australia as well, um, especially rural um, and it rules are usually quite short because no one wants to live in the country for a prolonged period. Mm. Um, so they always say, Oh, it's, only, it's not forever, but then metropolitan's so competitive that they go, Oh, you're only going to be able to get a contract. And you go, well, which one is it? Yeah, you, can't <laughs> you know, where do I actually get a full-time position? So it's something that is very common here um, that the rhetoric surrounding it is basically you get your foot in the door with some term three contract while someone's on maternity leave or something along those lines. You put your best foot forward and hopefully they offer you a full-time position. Like It's a very odd way to structure a career, I think. It's not a bad thing though, because like I said to you, it's about exp collecting experiences in your first five years of your teaching, you should be collecting experiences, right? That's what I personally feel. And then you are in a position to, to be more discerning and more discriminating about it where you would feel you naturally fit. But until you try something you don't know, I think contract positions are a really good way to start a career. And the reason I think that is because you have to come in and you have to be on. Right. You have to be on straight up, right? Because you can expect the first two weeks to be very turbulent. You can, because the students are disrupted. No one likes change if it's enforced on them, right? So the students are going to react to that and they're going to react to that depending on where you are in the context of your country or the, the class that you're dealing with or the culture you're dealing with. In different ways, but you need to be ready for that. And again, I come back to my consistency model. You go, well, that's that, that's, that's happened. We draw a line. This is now my classroom. This is what we do. You know what I mean? And you have to you have to enforce that line. I remember seeing um, that film, Coach Carter. Remember Coach Carter? Yeah, yeah. And he comes in, and the basketball team are really disruptive at the beginning. And he goes, "These are my standards," and they laugh at him initially, and then they don't laugh at him when he starts to enforce those standards. Yeah. You know what I mean? And over time, he makes a real point about those standards. And they become ingrained within him and they respond well to him. But it takes time. It takes a little bit of time. And for you, you are in a position there. If you think about it, it's a bit of a free hit. You know, you've come in. It might be that you're taking over from a very, very loved teacher, in which mm -hmm. case you've got a little bit of a harder. harder um, Definitely an uphill battle there. It can be an uphill battle at that point because you might hear that, well, this, this teacher does it this way. Right. Well, we are used to this. And you've got that resistance initially that you have to wear down over time. And they won't it's like not, you. They initially. won't like you initially. But that's okay, initially, yeah. you know. And there, there are various people that I've met in my life that initially I didn't like them and I love them now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. that's the thing. You say, well, you don't like me yet. It's always about yet. The word yet is really powerful. So, yeah, you don't like me yet. You know what I mean? And you just leave it there and you just keep enforcing what you do. And eventually you'll find in three months, six months, that's a different picture. And it's having that long-term idea in your mind is that this isn't going to last forever. These first two weeks of turbulence won't last forever. You know, it'll get better. And it's about you and what you can bring to the table. Not so much them, you. What can you do as an educator to, to bring things to life a little bit? What can you do that are different? You know, what unique strengths do you have? What can they do those first two weeks? Knowing that the kids are going to be disrespectful, um, they might not even know where they left, where the teacher left off. You know, if, if it's a teacher that's a good teacher and they're just going on leave, hopefully they'll leave them lesson plans. But let's just say the teacher leaves and they just kind of have to pull everything together overnight. What are some suggestions so that, you know, when 
new teachers are faced with bad classroom management or a bad classroom environment, it really wears them down. It makes them feel like failures. They don't want to do it anymore. How can we help them out in terms of like preparing them and, and teaching them these last minute classroom management type techniques? The first thing you've got to understand is that it's about establishing your classroom, right? So it's not about content. Content you can catch up, right? right. Content you can flip. Content, there's various different ways of dealing with content. So the first thing you've got to get out of your head is I must cover content. Because if you haven't established any kind of rapport with anybody, you go nowhere. You're, you're throwing it against the wall and it's sliding down the wall. So the yeah. first two lessons shouldn't be anything to do with content. It should be you and them just talking. The beginning teachers as well, I think – you obviously want to put your best foot forward and succeed in the profession. But I think an unfortunate symptom of that is that beginning teachers usually overcomplicate things and overstress things and overwork and don't put in particular boundaries. So you're talking about that situation there. And I'm just thinking there's only so much you can control. And I think scheduling admin, you know, where those kids were before that's out of your control as a beginning teacher. And so are a lot of things within the happenings of a school as Scott's saying, you can only control what happens within those four walls yeah. during those 45 minutes. Yeah. You may as well just focus on that and building rapport with that school uh, and with that class and then leave kind of what's going on with staffing and all those type of things and content and where they're going to get with the assessment and what were they doing before. <laughs> I think that's that can – you'll be awake all night if you worry too much about that. You should just focus on that my job is that – when those kids are in that classroom for that period of time, I'm teaching them. Now, Scott, you had touched before on how difficult it can be to teach in a more metropolitan schools, you know, low socioeconomic. Sure. Um, you know, at, I'm sure where you're at, you also have those neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime. Um, the students have witnessed a lot of hardship and yes. maybe even experienced trauma. So, Liam, you had also mentioned that these areas ironically are more popular because new teachers want to live in the city. So how can, how can they prepare for this? You know, it, they may not even be aware of how, how deep this goes because they may not have experienced it. They're like, I want to go live in the shiny city, but they don't really know what the people who have grown up in that place are experiencing. So what should they expect and what should their priorities be? I'll jump in here because I've recently had experience in um, a very low socioeconomic area of Brisbane. And I was in a school where I was shocked. I didn't know that we had that low socioeconomic students Mm. with that much hardship in our country. I honestly thought that there was a bottom level. And then I experienced the reality of this situation that I've been ignorant to my whole life. And it opened my eyes. I honestly thought that there was a base level standard and that these kids some of the things that they have to go through on a daily basis, it was absolutely shocking to me and it, it completely opened my eyes. Some of them are in and out of juvie, uh, juvenile detention centres. Mm-hmm. Um, some, literally the majority of the school rocked up high on drugs, mm-hmm. not just weed either, like hardcore drugs, um, meth and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them basically had consistent homing um, they all were all pale and they all had big sunken eyes and sores all over their skin. Some of them had bullet wounds. Um, and then just the initial reaction to me being there was that they threatened me and threatened my life. Um, and it's just the most, it just made me feel so 
dark and just so sad for them and so empathetic. And it was made me feel shocked that this country allows that to happen. I mean, that their lived experience day to day is something that I could never fully understand. Um, so as a teacher coming in and those teachers that they literally deserve to have their name up in lights yeah. every single day for the things that they are put through and the things that they do and that they come every single day at 10 in the morning to do the same thing for those students. And they're probably the only consistent role models that they have in their whole lives. You know, well, that's, that's jumping back into what you were saying and going back to what I said earlier, that's a success criteria right there. Mm. You know, you're adjusting your expectation at that point as to what you can really achieve because right. you are fighting things that you can't control. So one of the first things you would say to a teacher in a difficult school like that is control what you can control. You can't worry about things outside of what you're doing because it might be, and I'll go back to that safe space thing about, again, your, your classroom is only safe space that person knows in that day. That's a big responsibility. Let's say that I'm in a school where things like the students aren't in a bad socioeconomic area. Um, the, the kids are well off. The parents have all kinds of money. And then I discover that the culture is toxic. I'm sure yeah. you've experienced this where there's mistrust between the administration and the staff or you have colleagues that are really, you know, they're really bitter yes. and jaded and there might even be factions in the school. So, you know, with new teachers, and I hear this all the time, they're like, I came into this and everyone hates each other and I can't even find a mentor because everyone is so bitter. So yeah. what? how can we help them out? So... Something for beginning teachers, I think millennials are always chucked under the bus. They are. Um, they are. Because, <laughs> you know, we, they, they say that, you know, that we can't communicate and we can't form one-on-run relationships anymore. That's not But true. the fact of it is that it hasn't gone. It's just changed. And it looks in a different way than it used to be in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. What I'm talking about is that the capability for online platforms in terms of community professional development yeah. communication yeah. is unheralded yeah. and it is the point of call for any beginning teacher Absolutely. that's struggling out there. I mean, to connect with you, we're a living example of this. Yeah, we're doing yeah. that. We're in Brisbane, Australia, and we're talking about pedagogy with someone in San Diego. Yeah. In live. Yeah. That would never have been possible. And I think we need to take advantage of that because studies have shown that millennials value communication in that way. And there's numerous ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be Pracky. You know, Pracky does that. But if someone finds something else that's supporting them, I don't care. As long as they're finding some support and professional development, the easiest way of doing that is literally Google search. There's teacher meetups in your area. There's Facebook groups. There's Twitter hashtags where people, you know, talk about their problems. There's Instagram groups. I mean, the ability to find teachers that are literally in your exact same level of your career is amazing. Whereas back in the day, I think a negative was that you had to find mentors in person. You know, I'm a beginning teacher in a metro, like you said, that exact scenario. I may feel all alone in the staff room, especially if they click off, like you were saying. Yet in the world today, I can find numerous hundreds, if not thousands of like-minded teachers that are going through the exact same thing. And that camaraderie is unparalleled. So if there was one thing that I'd suggest is that if you're not getting the support that you need in your school is to 
kind of extend your realm of influence. Start looking into online platforms um, because there's plenty of it out there. Well, the one thing I would, and I'll say this to any of it, if we're talking generationally here, millennial teachers, you're the future, right? So things are going to change because you will change them, right? So you look at this cult, toxic culture that exists now. It's not going to be there when you become somebody who's in that position. It's just not going to be there. That's what some of these teachers are like. They're too institutionalized in their, their current role and they can't see their way out and so they become toxic. Do you know what I mean? You look at that and go, I'm not going to go that way. And you can choose to go outside your school. You don't have to have a mentor within your school. You just don't have to do that anymore. But how about just working with them, though? Like, I have to go to a department meeting with them and they disregard everything I say because I'm a new teacher or because I'm a millennial and, you know, what can I contribute to the conversation? How can a new teacher feel like they belong in in this situation and not just be completely, you know, overshadowed by everything that's going on in the school? Well, the first thing is you've got to separate the issue from from the content. Okay. So okay. if you're looking at if you're looking at something, for instance, like grading papers and feedback in, in my subject area of English, that's a massive thing. All right. So you might have somebody who's very, very adamant that this is the way that we do feedback and someone else in your in your faculty, because they think that, decides to go the other way. And you're sitting there watching this this pitch battle going on. Right. Yeah. And the honest truth is, as in any situation, there's probably merit in both their approaches. You take what you need. You know what I mean, and you just write it down. Just keep it, keep it for yourself. Find a middle way. Be that middle way. Is is my advice to you? Be that middle way. Be the reed that bends a little bit initially, all right, and get them both to climb down from their positions gradually, gradually, gradually over time. You're not if if they actively dislike each other. There's not much you can do about that, all right. But we're all professionals at the end of the day. You know hopefully, I mean? hopefully, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> So if it's completely unprofessional behavior or illegal behavior, that get dealt with by admin. That's nothing to do with you. You're, t- right. you're too far down the chain to worry about that. What you worry about is what's immediately your concern. So, so duck out the of the fray then. Duck out of the fray. You stay out of it. Don't yeah. take something. You stay out of it. All right? And all you do is you sit there and you, you watch and you go, that person's got that point. That person's got that point. You diary it and you go, okay, I'll suggest a middle way. You know, And always come out with that, that not conciliatory pattern, but come out with a solution. You know, be solution oriented is, is my advice. Don't worry about the issue. Don't don't get involved in the politics. If there's someone asks you to take sides, say, look, I'm sorry, I'm too young. I don't understand. Play <laughs> play dumb, roll over. It doesn't matter. Stay out of it. Okay. Do not be recruited. That's my advice. Mm. And for the love of God, don't engage in staff room gossip yourself. Yeah. Right. That's once, a fast way in, to go. Once you're in that world, you're in that world forever. Yeah. You know, You'll do the high school girl mentality yes. where someone goes, do you know what, <laughs> yeah. do you know what Jenny said? And yeah. then you say, oh, that was, I know, yeah, whatever. And you I don't even say it. anything. And then they go to Jenny, oh, do you know what Liam yeah, said about right. you? Right. You know, it's the exact yeah. same type of thing. I yeah. mean, it's you got to question who are the adults and who are the kids in some schools yeah. from what you've seen. But yeah. you want to be that one staff member when someone goes, you know what? Liam's never said anything They've bad about him. They've got some really anybody. good ideas. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. I've that's never heard anyone say anything bad about him or yeah. he's never said anything bad about anyone else. Yeah. If that means you have to get up and leave the room, so be it. Yeah. Find an excuse. But sometimes joining that is never to your advantage ever because people notoriously flip-flop and then sometimes you agree with their opinion on Monday, they've disagreed and they've changed their mind on Tuesday and then suddenly you're the enemy and you didn't even agree with anything in the first place. <laughs> right. right. You can't get dragged into that quicksand. So the obvious social trap to avoid is just because they're toxic doesn't mean you need to be. Right. All right. Don't don't sit there and, and get sucked into their quicksand of nonsense. You just stay out of it. 
And as I say, you find that external support if you, if you can't find internal support. And you diarize. You diarize and go, this is what I'm learning here. This is what not to do. Right. You know what I mean? This is what not to do as opposed to what to do. Now, Scott, have you ever been in a situation where you were singled out either by administrators or other colleagues, you know, in a negative way and they just, it just felt like they had it out for you? Oh, of course. I think we've all been there. Um, when you speak your mind, you tend to, to invite that occasionally. And English faculty is notorious for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you look at that and go, that's okay. That's part and parcel of it. Part and parcel of being that kind of a person is that if you're going to give your opinion, you're going to get some back. You know what I mean? You have to understand the rule of the game there. And, and then obviously you play within the structure that you have. You know what I mean? You have to understand, and you understand, I'm sure, from a union perspective, you actually have some rights as a teacher. Mm-hmm. All right. You have some rights. You have a lot of responsibilities, but you also have rights. Right. right? So there's certain collegial behavior you should expect. If a, if a faculty member, for instance, is criticizing you to the students, you know, and behind your back, that's, that's a massive no-no in our profession. You just don't do that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? That's extremely unprofessional. So right. that's happened to me occasionally. And I've had to come up to the, the teacher in question and say, can I have a private chat to you, please? And if that private chat doesn't go well, it gets escalated. It's just the way it goes sometimes. It's, and it can just be a personality clash. It can be a lack of professionalism. It can be a lot of different things. Do you know what I mean? It can be misunderstanding sometimes. It can be genuine that's misunderstanding. True. You know? How about with administrators, though? What if it seems like nothing you do is good enough? They're always criticizing you. And, you know, you're a new teacher worrying about getting tenure. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's something that is a legitimate concern. But again, email everything. Email everything. Keep a trial, keep a trial, keep a trial. Right? All of your interaction with them has to be formal and it has to be on email. All right? Protect yourself. And join a union would be my advice. Those are the two things. Can I just say to any teacher, join a union. All right? And I'm not saying that because I catastrophize. I'm just saying it's a form of teacher insurance for yourself. It's such a volatile profession in terms of what you may encounter. You may well require it one day. And it's a very important thing to understand that you have collective voice, you know? So email everything, join a union, um, and also seek support colleagues and make people aware of what's happening so that you can't be, you can't be taken in isolation at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There was one school that I went to where I fundamentally disagreed with the head of department's strategy, and then I was foolish enough to say something about it. And this uh-huh. was when I was a, I was a practice student, so, <laughs> so won't help himself. I think I'm just naturally that type of person anyway, um, and it probably wasn't the best way to go about it. And I think there was some other things going around at the department at that time. It was just probably the worst period in human history for me to actually be there. There was a lot of things going on and then it turned into, I think it, like you were saying, it turned into some also almost a personal battle. And I think McCarthyist persecution. Wasn't yeah, it? it was hardcore. <laughs> um, but what really helped me in that instance was that, like I was saying, I focused on my students and I focused on what I could do in that classroom. And during that time, my job at that point was to teach that group of kids for 45 minutes in period three for teaching them 1984. So I made that the best that I could. I communicated how I was doing that. But if the department start, started to have it out because I wasn't the only one that was disagreeing with this perspective. Um, it was kind of like I was saying before, like there was a bit of high school gossip going around and people were you know, saying – it's almost like a house of cards thing going on. Um, 
But what helped me was that I, I simplified things actually. Um, simplifying things and boiling it down to what are your core responsibilities yeah, and, so. and when can really help you get through the day. I mean, sometimes it is heavy, especially if there's a department meeting, you know, after uh, the beginning of school or during school and you have it out and then you're quite upset um, or something gets said um, and you, you take it personally and there's something that needs to be happened somewhere down the line. But it's hard to go back to the classroom after that sometimes because you just want to be like, what was that about? And then you, yeah. you start questioning yourself and it, it is difficult. I can fully empathize with the uh, perspective of this question, but simplifying it and analyzing your role and really looking into what matters and what doesn't and changing your perspective and what is in my control and what is not in my control can really help you get through day to day. I'm, I'm imagining this might be different for each of you. At what point do you think a teacher should leave their school? Wow. Do you want to take this one first? Leave the school or leave the leave no. professional? Oh, their together. school. Sorry. Like, when is it time for them to move on to a different school? Because some teachers, they don't want to leave because they feel like uh, they're quitting on the kids and they're quitting on themselves. But there just really is a point when it's not good enough for you anymore. It's not good for you anymore. What do you think that point is? I think once it starts bleeding into your well-being. I think that's the core point where Absolutely. you need to deeply question your circumstances. Now, whether that's changing things within the school and sticking it out, maybe that's some other circumstances leading to that. That's one thing. But if it's day in, day out um, from the school, then there's questions to be had there. I think it's all right to have a bad day, bad week, bad month, even bad term. You know, sometimes just from the nature of where the school is at the moment, where you're at pedagogically in the combination of your classes, sometimes you are going to have a bad thing. We were talking about resilience earlier. Yeah. However, if it's month after month, month after month, month after month, and it's just you don't see any kind of light at the end of the tunnel and that's bleeding into your well-being day to day, your relationships with other people, that's when you need to question if that school's the right fit for you. School culture is very dramatically different. Through the symposiums, two teachers that you think should be relatively similar from similar sectors have very drastically different opinions. And it just goes to show that schools are very different places. We've, mm -hmm. talked, to, we've talked to teachers who basically got fired from a school because they thought they couldn't Teach, yeah. their, teach themselves out of a wet paper bag. That's right. Yeah, they go to the next school and they get a promotion straight away and then suddenly they're head of department. Sometimes schools, schools are very insular bubble places and sometimes if you're not in that bubble and you don't, you know, you don't agree with it straight away, you know, there are very different approaches to education. Let's not kid ourselves here. You can definitely change. So I think if it starts bleeding into your well-being and you just have fundamental differences step by step for a prolonged period of time, that's when you need to start looking to greener pastures, I think. Well, there's, there's two ways of looking at it, right? So firstly, certainly there's the, there's the well-being aspect of things, which is the, the obvious answer. But the other one is if you're feeling like you're getting stale. You know, if you yeah. feel like you're getting stale. I, mean, I remember my first school, right, and – Six years I was there, and I can remember the day. I can remember the lesson even that I decided that's it, I'm done. And it was uh, literally, it was a French lesson with my year nine class, and I was literally repeating almost line for line the same lesson I'd done the same week the previous year. I went, yeah, I'm done. 
because you can see yourself becoming a robot and into a patterning style. Right. And it's, it's, not, it's admitting that to yourself and going, I've hit my limit here. But, I mean, I need to move for my own sake at this point. And as it turned out, I emigrated. But it's really interesting to see when you know, you know. Do you know what I mean? It's whether you wish to admit it to yourself. You know? Exactly, yeah. I'll give you an example, right? We watch UFC. Conor McGregor he hasn't admitted to himself yet that he needs to retire, <laughs> right? He hasn't. You can see a lot of his disruptive behavior. You go, you need to retire. You know that. You, <laughs> you're past it. You need to stop and do something different. And it's the same kind of thing with you, with your teaching career. You go, look, I'm at the point now where I need to do something different for myself. And so you can get stale. So the, the corollary to the idea of well-being is that you're actually in a place for seven, eight, nine years. And you hit that slump, which I'm sure you know, you're 18 mm-hmm. years into your, your career. I'm 21 into mine. You go, what do I do next? What do I do now? I've been, I've been in the school for six years, then one in for nine. And by the time my daughter graduates from my current one, it'll be 11 and it'll be time to go. Do you know what I mean? Right, I, know, yeah. I, I understand that. Do you know what I mean? So being afraid of change is, is rather pointless because it's the only constant in life. And ironically, if you do move role, it can very often rejuvenate you anyway. So I'm curious with Pracky. What's next for you guys? What do you have down the tube? Um, it's really, it, it's been amazing to see how it grows. You know, I've had ventures before where you, you try and promote it, promote it and it just dies. Whereas this with Pracky, the, the response has been absolutely amazing. And I think that it's real hit a gap in the market that this needed to be here. And I think yes. it's a global issue as well, that advice for beginning teachers from the perspective of beginning teachers it's very rare and it gives us a unique voice that I think is refreshing. You know, if a beginning teacher literally saying these are the practical things that helped me, perhaps they'll help you as well. I think it cuts through a lot of the discussion and it really gets to what works and what doesn't. And now we're really finding our feet from now on and it's really going to explode from here. So we're going to be doing a new model where we're doing four symposiums a year. Whereas yeah. Before we were just kind of wow. doing when and where we could, whereas now we're actually getting a consistent model that I think is going to just extend the momentum because we're getting cold calls from nobodies now. And you can, whereas now it used to just be me in my little basement trying to get <laughs> literally anything. How very science the lambs. Can you please have me? <laughs> whereas now it's, it, you know, whereas now it's people coming to us. And I think that's been a massive difference. And I think it's just going to go strength to strength from there. And then obviously the videos and the audio will just, you know, the production values will just extend from there. And then we're also going to be offering, um, we're going to be calling them Pracky Double Downs because something that we've found very interesting, Kim, is that after our symposiums end, no one leaves because I think people are hesitant to ask um, niche questions yes, right. in, in, front a, of audience, in an open forum. Yeah. Everyone thinks... What's a general question I can bring to bring value to the whole room? Yeah. So they'll ask, we'll have some you know, issues that can help everybody. But someone may want to know, I've got this one particular naughty boy in my grade eight, period six class. We're teaching Hamlet, you know, and we've got Scott here who's an experienced English teacher. Now that you, people are hesitant to ask that question because it's so specific that, yeah. that it wouldn't bring value to anyone else. So what we're going to be doing is offering that context now with Pracky Double Downs, yes. it's called. So we're going to have basically our own PD where we're going to have the Pracky team 
having a whole day conference, basically, we're going to be giving that access that's never been given before. Yeah. We're going to be running, you know, we're literally going to get principals in to do mock job interviews. Yeah. We're going to have Scott sit there who's, you know, taught and landed jobs in any type of school you could imagine, go through your CV and say if he'd hire you or not and what you can do to change it. Yeah. You know, it's going to be exactly the same ethos for symposiums, but it's going to be to a selected few which will give us the opportunity to really go deep dive with these people. And I think that's going to bring a lot of value as well. So with the symposiums, with the double downs, we're going to be doing post-event kick-ons as well. So the panelists are going to be logging on to our platform post-event and doing like ask me anything's oh, nice. um, through, through our online platform because we get, we're it's able, fun. we get literally hundreds of questions, Kim, every single symposium. And we've only got a time to get to maybe 10 you know, so there's a lot of demand and at the moment we're not meeting that demand. So what's the next for Pracky is we're going to be meeting that demand through a whole lot of things. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And so yeah. now I know that my listeners, because they're all brand new teachers, their yeah. interest is peaked. So where can they get a hold of you if they, they have questions? I think the most the best way to contact Pracky is through our website. That's the really the one stop shop for everything that we do. We obviously diversify content. So our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook offers unique content to the way that you like. We obviously we have our Pracky podcast as well and YouTube and LinkedIn. Basically, we you can find Pracky on any platform that you would like in the way that you most like to um, engage with content. Yep. The, the best way to connect with everything that we're doing is Pracky, which is www.pracky.com, which is P-R-A-C hyphen E. Um, and that's that's the best way. Everything gets uploaded there, and that's kind of the one-stop shop native place where if you want anything to do with Pracky, it'll be there. That's it. And so if they, especially if they want to fly out for one of those symposiums, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Or <laughs> yeah, maybe someone in America wants to fly us out yeah, or go do something <laughs> in the United States. Right. Yeah. It'd be magnificent. But I just want to say that if beginning teachers are out there and they're interested, interested in Pracky, that – I just I don't particularly want to promote Pracky. I want to promote beginning teacher support platforms. It doesn't have to be Pracky. If yeah. they want to find support, then I implore them to it can be Pracky, then we'll be there if they want to connect with us. But if they need something specific to look into Facebook groups, Twitter, and just engage in the community and we don't be yeah. we can help with that and don't be afraid to ask questions. I know sometimes it's such an odd thing to feel like if that was an in person, you wouldn't just rock up no, to a group exactly of right. friends and start yeah. asking them questions. But yeah. online support platforms offer that that way that you know no one's ever communicated with before, and I see it bringing value to beginning teachers every day. It can be pracky, it could be not, but I yes. feel if you're if you are not feeling one hundred percent about where you are pedagogically, to reach out online and see and engage with the community. Absolutely. Well, thank you too for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sure you guys could tell that I had a great time talking to Scott and Liam. And don't you guys wish we had something like Pracky out here? I mean, I do my best with this podcast to provide you with as much knowledge as I can, but those symposiums sound amazing. I, I feel like I need to start saving up so that I can head down there and witness it myself. So here are my key takeaways from our conversation. First, don't get too hung up on where your first teaching job will be. Liam had mentioned that there are ways to research a school and find out if it's a good fit, but Scott then insisted that 
You should just apply anywhere and see what happens. You just might end up loving it or vice versa. You know, a school that you thought was your dream school could be terrible. If you go in with an open mind and without too many expectations, you're less likely to be disappointed. Next, and similar to this first point, a lot of younger teachers want to live in the big city and teach in more metropolitan areas. But with that comes a unique set of challenges. Scott and Liam gave tips on how to prepare yourself for that and temper your expectations and realize that there are trade-offs regardless of which area you teach in. Finally, we spent a good amount of time talking about school culture and how to deal with toxicity. Both Liam and Scott recommend keeping your head down and staying out of the gossip. And if you can't find positive role models at your school, then reach out to online like-minded teachers. You can definitely find support where you need it in online spaces. I really want to thank Scott and Liam for being such awesome guests on the podcast. And if you want to connect with them and learn more about Prac-E, I have links for you in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to the show and share it with your teacher besties so that they can benefit from it too. Thanks again for hanging out with me today and have a fabulous week. Thanks for listening to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast. Love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcast or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review.